including some very significant characters like Paul, and we live near a city that was named after him. I was named after him. We'll learn about the geography of the world at that time. We'll learn about the political climate of the world at that time. We'll learn about the struggles that surrounded the significant changes taking place in the religious climate at that time. We'll learn about the church. We'll learn a lot. But even more interesting and exciting than all that, we'll explore the word of God together. This is God speaking to us. This book is a gift from God to us, and that excites me. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to just go ahead and put your hand up. Our ushers will get you one. Um, you're going to need it to follow along in. We're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning that will not be up on the screen. Um, so make sure you, you have one that you can follow along in. You know what else excites me about studying this book together? This book is not just the story of the New Testament church. It is our story as well. The book of Acts is our story as well. This book in the way that it was written by a guy named Luke, makes it clear that the story isn't over yet. It was written as a start to something that isn't finished yet. And you know what that means? That means that you and I are actually a part of this story. And I mean that literally. It's not a fairy tale that we can use our imaginations to insert ourselves into it's a real ongoing story that you and I are most definitely characters in. Now, there aren't many stories, even in the Bible, that were written in such a way that you and I can so easily become a part of. The characters in the story are usually clearly defined and exclusive to that story, but not with this true account of something that happened 2,000 years ago. This one carries on to this day, and it will carry on until the return of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to do something this morning as we start this series. I want you to insert yourself into the story, um, not by pretending that you're one of the characters that Luke wrote about. What I want you to do is to realize that Luke handed off his pen to someone else when he was done writing this part. And over time, that pen got passed down to you and me. And by the end of this series, I hope that every one of us will have accepted that pen and write, maybe even literally, our part of this incredible story, handing it off to our children, to our brothers and sisters in Christ who will carry this story into the future as well. I believe that's what God want, wants to happen as a result of Luke's account reaching us 2,000 years later. That excites me. There are many, many more reasons why I'm excited about studying the book of Acts together, but let me give you just one more. What happens at the beginning of the book of Acts is so significant that we need to be much more conscious of it taking place than we currently are. Here's what was so significant. God took one giant step towards us and positioned himself closer to us than he has ever been. On December 25th, we celebrate God coming to us in the form of a baby and making his dwelling among us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. A very, very significant event. At Easter, we remember the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as he laid down his life to die so that we could live. And then we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus when he defeated death forever, also tremendously significant. But today we're gonna read the account of Jesus returning to heaven and his promise to us being fulfilled. God came to us again. And this time he did not come to dwell among us for a time, he came to dwell in us forever. And I'm excited about taking the time to become much more aware of the fact 
that God lives in us by his spirit and he offers us his presence and his power every minute of every day. And yet, like we discovered last Sunday, the day of Pentecost just isn't a big day for us. It's not a big holiday or anything. Very few of us were even aware that last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, the day that acknowledges the arrival of the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in us. We're going to increase the amount of significance that we give to that event. And that excites me. God is with us right here, right now in this room. All of this is so significant and so essential to us that we can't possibly expect to be fully impacted by it if we give it our attention for a mere three-tenths of one percent of our time each week. Did you realize that's what we do? did some math the other day. It was kind of frightening. There are 10,080 minutes in each week. A 30-minute sermon on a Sunday morning committed to studying God's Word means that we are only committing less than three-tenths of one percent of our time each week to studying God's Word, if that's all that we're doing. Three-tenths of one percent. Now, okay, to be honest, I included sleeping hours in that equation. So if you take out the 3,360 minutes each week that we commit to sleeping, that leaves you with 6,720 minutes a week that we're awake. Well, that's comforting, isn't it? So really, without the sleeping hours included, we can increase the amount of time that we spend studying God's Word to a much more impressive four-tenths of one percent of our time. That's it. That's a 30-minute sermon on a Sunday morning. Four-tenths of one percent of our week. So here's what I want to offer you throughout this series. Um, First of all, in your bulletin this morning is an insert. And on one side of that insert is a reading schedule for the summer. Take that out and look at it right now. The book of Acts is so big and deep that we're only going to cover a small portion of it in this series. And this schedule gives you portions of the book that you can go to and read after we have covered that section in the sermon. For example, when we're done this morning, you can go and read Acts chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 13 and that'll give you a chance to look at everything that was in that portion of the book. And we'll actually this morning going to read that entire section, but next week we'll study something from Acts chapter 2 verses 14 to 47, but not all of it. You can go and read all of it that week and be ready to move on to the next Sunday. Now beyond that, I want to make you you aware of some other resources that I'm going to make available to you as we go through this book. Starting this coming week, you'll be able to find more resources on our website. We will create a simple way for you to connect to those resources each week. All you have to do is go to the church website and click on our link to those resources that you can use to go deeper into your personal study of the book of Acts. This is what I'm asking. Immerse yourself in this book this summer. Don't let this be it. Immerse yourself in this book. There is so much there that we've got to go deeper. Now, why am I so concerned that we do this? Well, here's why. First of all, I want us all to have a deeper experience of God this summer. Luke tells us that God came by his spirit to dwell in us. I'm praying that our experience of that presence and power gets much deeper this summer. That should be a daily experience for us. Secondly, I'm praying that we will have a deeper connection with God's word this summer. Maybe we'll even raise the bar to study God's word five-tenths of one percent of our time. 
let's all tune ourselves into God's voice more than we ever have this summer, all right? Thirdly, by studying the book of Acts, I hope that we will gain a deeper understanding of the church. Acts records the birth of the church. This is where it all began, and I pray that Chapel Hill will get closer to reflecting the model of the New Testament church through this study. And fourthly, I'm praying that we will all experience a deeper commitment to spreading the fire of the gospel through this study. Um, This series is called When God Plays with Matches. The fire was started on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God arrived to take up residence in those who believed in Jesus Christ. And that fire has never stopped spreading. Nothing at all can put it out. You were given a match on the way in. Take that out right now and look at that match that you were given. Um, Somewhat responsible people, you were given a match. Kids, if you were handed a match, give it to your mom and dad right now. (laughs) That match is a symbol of what this series is all about. God's Spirit lit a fire. His Spirit is a fire. The presence of God's Spirit, the power of of God's spirit and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ all took off like a wildfire in the book of Acts. And that fire is to keep spreading through you and through me. Keep that match in your Bible or somewhere where you'll be able to find it and let it be a reminder to you of what we're gonna experience in this study. Listen, we are to be so deeply affected by what happened in this story that we're gonna study, that we as a church and as individuals are to have the same kind of impact as the church in Acts did, the same kind of impact. The church in Acts was accused in Acts 17.6 of having caused trouble all over the world. That's the reputation they had. They set fires, the fire of the gospel, everywhere that they went, everywhere they went. May God, through his spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ, have that kind of an impact on us this summer. So before we open the story, let's take a moment to just commit ourselves to this study and to God. Will you pray with me? Father, we just sang for you to let your fire rain down on us. God, that's exactly what I'm praying for as we go through the book of Acts, this story that you have written for us, the, the account of what happened following the death and resurrection of your son. So God, as we come into this story, I ask that we would take it very seriously from the perspective of this, that we are participants in this story that is not yet over. God, you have given us something to do in the meantime as we wait for your son, Jesus Christ, to return. So help us to see very clearly from this study what it is that you've got in mind for us. Give us the courage to take up the calling that you've given us. Give us new eyes to understand what was taking place. And above all, God, help us to encounter you through your spirit in a new, more powerful way this summer. God, we acknowledge that you are in us So help us to be awakened to that this summer. Bless us as we go through this. This is your word and we thank you for it. So we commit ourselves to hearing, understanding, and doing what we see in your word in the book of Acts. We commit this study to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And no, after all that, we're not even going to the book of Acts yet. <laughs> Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Luke 24, 44. We're going to read through verse 53. <clears throat> Luke 24, verses 44 to 53. Uh, Jesus had just risen from the dead and appeared to the disciples, and now he's talking to them about what is yet to come. And so in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. All right, this is Luke writing to his friend Theophilus of all that he had witnessed during the life of Jesus Christ. Luke was led to write his own account of what had taken place, and I am so glad that he did. Luke is an amazing writer, and he brings us his unique perspective on all that he had witnessed. And so the book of Luke kind of ends with the words, to be continued, scrolling across the screen. He wasn't done writing, nor was the story done unfolding. Now turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is the continuation of what Luke wrote in his gospel account. The book of Luke tells the story of the life of Jesus. The book of Acts tells the story of the coming and impact of the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus. And so here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Luke writes this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back 
in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Instant explosion of activity in the book of Acts. Luke is writing again to his friend Theophilus, and he references his former writings about all that Jesus began, began to do and to teach before returning to heaven. He's making it clear to Theophilus that the work Jesus started was not done. But didn't Jesus say, it is finished on the cross? Yes, he did. The work of redemption, the sacrifice for sin, was done. It would not have to be done again. But the work of proclamation was not yet complete. In fact, it still isn't complete. And that's where we fit into this story. Luke mentions again to Theophilus that Jesus was taken up into heaven. Now he's tying this book back into his former book, the book of Luke. Notice something in verse 2. The Holy Spirit seems to have been in existence before his arrival on the day of Pentecost. Well, he was. In fact, we can see him in the creation story, hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit has always been in existence because the Holy Spirit is God. He is a member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Always been there, about to get much closer and more personal. So Jesus told his disciples to wait for a gift that he had promised. And he had previously told his disciples about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that arrival had been prophesied as far back as Ezekiel 36, where God said that he would put his spirit in his people. This was always part of God's plan. So they were to wait for his arrival. They were going to be baptized. They were going to be grafted into the family of God by the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the many things the Holy Spirit does. He connects us to our Father. He creates the bridge between our spirit and God's. It was God's move coming closer to us to make us his own. And we're going to look at many different functions of the Holy Spirit through the series. I'm not going to cover it all today. The disciples asked Jesus if this was the time for him to restore his kingdom. Now their question was a legitimate one. They had been very confused when Jesus died. Cannot imagine. Now they had seen him come back to life. There was no greater demonstration of his power. And so is this it then? And Jesus says, no, don't worry about that. You've seen my power. Now you are going to have my power. And what was that power for? Well, verse 8 makes that crystal clear. They were going to receive his power to become God-empowered witnesses to the world. Um, on your way in, you were handed a brochure like this for your family. Um, if you did not get a copy of this, pick one up on the way out. Um, take it out and have a look at it right now. Because I want to introduce you today to our Faith Promise ministry for this coming year. Uh, as a church, we support several career missionaries out doing what God empowered every one of us to do. They're being witnesses to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, Chapel Hill, we are to be witnesses here in Jerusalem and to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. We just commissioned a group of teenagers going to the surrounding areas. Um, recently, we've been talking about God's call on us to be witnesses right here in our own communities. And the ministries in that brochure that you're looking at are taking the gospel for us to the ends of the earth. 
Uh, we have done a fantastic job of supporting these missionaries over the years. In recent years, we've become more personally involved in each one of their lives and ministries. Uh, financially, we've maintained our support in spite of transitions, in spite of the economy. This year, as we're beginning to see this church move forward in every area, I'm praying that we'll move forward in this as well. So please take the time to look this over. For some of you, this is going to be your first exposure to these ministries. We'll get to know them. Get to know them. There's information in that brochure and out on the mission slat board out here and in your bulletin every Sunday. Um, all that stuff's there. And then prayerfully consider what you're going to do, what you're going to commit to do over the year ahead to support these ministries and missionaries. Um, get the faith promise cards filled out and turn them back in within the next three weeks here so that we can let these missionaries know that we're going to support them again for another year. And let's work towards getting more people on the field to the ends of the earth to do what God has empowered us as his church to do, okay? So then Jesus is literally taken up right before his disciples' eyes. He is literally taken up into heaven. They can physically see him go. He's still talking to them as he rises up into the clouds. Can you imagine that scene? No, me neither, I can't. Just, there he goes, just straight up. They're stunned. They keep staring up into the sky in disbelief, but he's gone, just like that. Now, they had to have been just completely blown away by this. And then, as if they needed something else, else bizarre to happen, um, two angels joined them. And they said what was probably the most appropriate thing that anyone could have said in that situation. They said to the disciples, he's coming back. And he is. Just like he left, he's coming back. We have no idea when. It could be today, that'd be awesome. But he's coming back to get us. And meanwhile, we have a job to do. Well, the disciples had a job to do as well. Let's pick up the story at verse 12 again. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. This time we're going to read through verse 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. 
So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was, he was added to the 11 apostles. All right, they were about three quarters of a mile outside of Jerusalem at this point. That's the length of a Sabbath day walk. And that distance was set according to how long the furthest most tents were located from the temple during the time the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. The furthest distance anyone had to walk was identified as a Sabbath's day walk. And that's how far away the disciples were from Jerusalem. So they came back to where they had been staying, a large upper room in somebody's home. The 11 remaining disciples were there. Judas was, of course, dead at this point, And he needed to be replaced. Jesus had appointed 12 disciples according to the 12 tribes of Israel over which they would rule one day, so there had to be 12. All the believers, about 120 at that point, gathered together during that time, that waiting time. They gathered and prayed. Now that must have been quite a gathering. 120 who believed all that had taken place with Jesus dying, rising from the grave, and showing himself to them. These 120 all got it, every one of them. So Peter, already identified as their leader in spite of his behavior around the crucifixion of Christ, gets up to address them and get to the business of appointing one more disciple. And here Luke takes a break in his writing to catch Theophilus up on what has happened. He tells him Judas' story. Now there's a little clarification that needs to take place around this account of the story mostly to do with the way it's written here. Luke writes that Judas bought a field. Now that's just the way he's saying it. That's just the way it translates. Judas gave back the money that he was given for handing over Jesus. The Jews actually bought the field with that money and they called it the field of blood because it was purchased with blood money. Now they hypocritically refused to keep the money themselves because it was blood money in spite of the fact that they themselves were the ones that paid Judas. We also read elsewhere that Judas hung himself. Luke describes him falling. Judas had hung himself on a tree on the edge of a cliff. And so either the branch broke or the rope broke or came undone and Judas plunged to his death. Gruesome ending to a wasted life. But as prophesied in Psalms, Judas is replaced And his replacement is a man named Matthias. Matthias had met two essential criteria. He had accompanied Jesus during his ministry. And he had witnessed the resurrection of Christ as well. So by drawing lots, he was chosen between two candidates. And this is the last time that you'll see decisions being made by drawing lots. From now on, the Holy Spirit would be there to guide the decisions of God's people. And so they waited Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Well, a new phase in God's redemptive plan has just begun right here. The prophets promised the Son, the Son promised the Spirit, and now here He was. The day of Pentecost had arrived. Now the word Pentecost means 50th, 50th. This was the New Testament name for the Festival of Weeks. It was 50 days after Passover. And on that day, traditionally, a first fruits offering would be made. The Israelites would give the first fruits of their harvest as a sacrifice, an offering to God for his faithfulness. The significance of that timing was great. The gift of the Holy Spirit was the first fruits of the harvest of believers that we're going to carry on right through today. The gift of the Holy Spirit was the first fruit of God's inheritance for us, his believers, his children. This was the day that the Holy Spirit was to, to arrive. God was following a pattern that he had set long ago according to this plan he had set before time. Well, there was a sound like a wind. In Hebrew and Greek, the word for wind is the same as the word for spirit. And this kind of demonstration fits so well. The group gathered, heard the noise, and, and then they saw what looked like tongues of fire. And God declared them to be his family. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, has happened to every single one of us followers of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. We were also baptized with the Spirit upon the forgiveness of our sins and adoption into God's family. We have been given this one Spirit, and that's what brings us unity. So a crowd had come to see what this noise could have been. And they arrived to hear something unbelievable. The disciples were speaking languages that they didn't know. Languages recognizable by those who came to investigate. Jews from all over the Jewish world were there in Jerusalem for the feast, all part of God's plan. And God demonstrated for them that the gospel of his son Jesus Christ was going to be available now to people from all tongues and all nations. This was the point of transition between God's old covenant with the nation of Israel and the new covenant that he was making with his global family. In spite of how incredible this all was, there were still those who refused to believe and decided in their ignorance that the disciples must be drunk. Well, the crowd asked what all this meant, and Peter would explain it to them, and we'll look at that next Sunday. Nothing, nothing would be able to stop what God started that day. Nothing. He struck a match and set a fire that has spread throughout history. And, and here's where I want us to insert ourselves into the story as we wrap things up. I want you to think back to what you've seen throughout the story of Jesus' ministry. Think about the disciples. Think about the 12. 
doesn't take us long to recall the flaws of these 12 men. Jesus referred to them as men of little faith. They were cowards. Where were they when their closest friend was being led to the crucifixion? Other than John, they ran. Jesus scolded them for doubting. They didn't understand what seemed to be the most obvious of truths. Peter, when pressed by a young servant girl, couldn't even stand up to her about his connection to Jesus. They scoffed at the original resurrection reports. They were hiding in fear when Jesus first found them after his resurrection. Some of them wouldn't even believe that Jesus had been resurrected when told by the 12 that he had been. They were a pathetic bunch. But from this pathetic bunch, God's eternal global church was launched. Why? Well, because they'd all grown so much so fast that they were now perfect candidates to be representatives of God's kingdom and missionaries to their world? No. It had nothing to do with their power. Nothing. It had nothing to do with their wisdom, with their courage, with their faith. It had everything to do with the Holy Spirit. The presence and power of God himself would make them into an unstoppable force for God's kingdom. We're gonna see just how powerful they were as we progress through this book. So listen, you and I, you and I have that same power that made the disciples the force that they were. You get that? We have it. It's not a story. You and I have the spirit of God living inside of us. You and I carry the fire that was passed on to us. And we are fully equipped to be the ones who pass that fire on to the next generation. No excuses. That same spirit that the disciples received, the spirit that made their story, that made them so amazing, that spirit belongs to you and me. God's presence and power dwell within every one of us. And it's time to experience that spirit in a new way. Very fittingly, we're gonna celebrate communion together now. Jesus left us with this symbol to remember him by. The bread to represent his body given up as a sacrifice for us and the cup to symbolize the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Two powerful symbols to remember him by. And Jesus left us something else. He gave us his spirit to dwell within us. Even in this act of partaking in communion, it is the Holy Spirit that connects us to our Heavenly Father. So during these few worship songs that we're gonna sing together, I want you to come take the elements of communion in a spirit of gratitude. Because as we do, we acknowledge the promise that the angels made to the disciples when Jesus was taken up right in front of them. They said, he's coming back. We do this in remembrance of Jesus. and We do it to acknowledge the fact that he's coming back. He is. He'll be back soon. So let's partake together as we share communion. I'm gonna invite the elders to come now and prepare to serve and the worship team to come back to the stage as they lead us through worship. Will you pray with me?
Father, I pray that every single one of us would have a new awakening, a new recognition of the fact that your spirit dwells in us, that your presence and your power are ours. And nothing would have succeeded in this launch of your church without the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we can see that these disciples, well, they got to spend three years with your son, we're still pretty clueless. We're still pretty weak, timid, afraid. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have all the understanding, all the knowledge. Well, neither do we. I pray, Father, that you would make us aware of the fact that your spirit, that same spirit that came on those disciples that day is the spirit that has come on every one of us. And Father, we may never have acknowledged the fact that you're there in us as we carry on trying to live for you, trying to do things that we think are right and that will impress you. So many of us have never even tapped into what's right there. So God, I ask that you would open our eyes this morning to see your presence and power right in us, joined with our spirits, that you would help us to realize that it is not by our power, by our wisdom, by our courage, by our intellect, by our capabilities that we're going to be used like the disciples in the book of Acts were used. It is by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, that you would fill us with an awareness of that presence and power in us like never before. That as we walk through this amazing book that we would understand that the same power, the same spirit that caused all this to happen is ours. I ask that you would break down whatever it is that's keeping us from experiencing that every day. That you would get us out of the way. Allow your spirit to work through us. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We desire to see this happen. Father, we come now to remember your son. To remember the fact that his body was battered and bruised and crucified, destroyed for our sake. And his blood was shed so that we could be clean, that we could be forgiven. And this little thing that we do this little symbol of eating and drinking that we do helps us remember that very thing. So God, do that. Let us see your son this morning. And beyond that, let us see your spirit alive in us. Thank you for being here with us, for dwelling in us, for making us your home. Praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.